We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 446 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Friday, November 18th, 2022. And what do you know? Washington, D.C. has filed another lawsuit against the commanders. It was on Thursday, November 10th, that Washington, D.C. Attorney General Coral Racine announced, quote, a new lawsuit against the Washington Commanders, team owner Dan Snyder, the National Football League, and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell for colluding to deceive district residents about an investigation into toxic workplace culture and allegations of sexual assault to maintain a strong fan base and increase profits, end quote. So that was last week. It was on this past Thursday, November 17th, that Racine, quote, announced a new lawsuit against Pro Football Inc., which owns the Washington Commanders football team for implementing an illegal scheme to cheat district ticket holders out of their deposits for season tickets and use the money for its own purposes End quote. According to Racine, quote, the commanders have returned some of the money to ticket holders, but as of March 2022, they still held nearly $200,000 in unreturned security deposits paid by district consumers. They have also forfeited thousands of dollars from district consumers' security deposits and converted that money into revenue for the team to use for its own purposes, end quote. Uh, Boy, this guy, Carl Racine, hot Carl. Is he not trying to go out with a bang? Understand, Carl Racine is on his way out as Washington, D.C. Attorney General. He did not seek re-election as D.C. AG. His term as AG will end on January 2nd, but he is whacking Dan Snyder and the commanders around like a pinata. By the way, did you know that the commanders have a parent company? I'm guessing most people did not know that. Pro Football Inc., technically speaking, is the parent company of the Washington commanders. But bottom line, right? Dan Snyder is in trouble again. 
this latest lawsuit is part of the financial scandal, whereas last week's lawsuit was part of the workplace misconduct scandal. Uh, if you are losing track of all of this, I don't blame you. If you have become numb to all of this, I don't blame you. I have too. But here was the best part about Thursday as it related to this lawsuit. We on Thursday evening had multiple reports that the commanders are raising season ticket prices for the 2023 season by an average of about 4%. Now, in fairness to the team, this is the first time in years that the team is raising season ticket prices. And obviously, we are in the midst of horrendous inflation. But I mean, consider the timing on the same day, the same day on which the city of Washington, D.C., filed a lawsuit against the commander's parent company for alleged shady practices with tickets, we learned that the commanders are raising ticket prices. You can't make this stuff up. Hello and welcome to the final Football Friday before Thanksgiving 2022. Yes, Thanksgiving is next week. Did you know that? Uh, this is a Football Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. And so I am going to talk a lot of actual commanders football with you. Uh, the five and five commanders are at the NFL worst one, seven and one Houston Texans this Sunday afternoon at one. Uh, our playoff contending commanders on Thursday night did get a favorable result on Thursday night football as another NFC team lost. The Green Bay Packers fell to four and seven with a 27-17 home loss to the Tennessee Titans. Uh, the commanders are alone in eighth in the NFC, a half game behind the San Francisco 49ers for the NFC's third wild card spot. Uh, coming up on the show, in-depth commanders conversation and preview of the game at the Texans. I'll take you through the latest on the commander's injury situation. I'll react to notable comments from offensive coordinator Scott Turner and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio at their post-practice press conferences on Thursday afternoon, including some really good stuff from Scott on rushing offense off all of the runs that he called in the commander's last game the wonderful 32-21 win at the Philadelphia Eagles this past Monday night. Uh, I welcome on a guest to talk Texans, Texans insider Sean Bajani of Sports Radio 610 KILT in Houston. Sean's going to tell us about not just the nature of the Texans 2022 team, but also about the bigger picture for the Texans, including them tanking this season. Uh, I'll give you my rhyming keys for a commander's win, and I'll give you a prediction for the game as well. Also on the show, Goldilocks for College Football Week 12, previews and picks for Maryland, home to number two, Ohio State, Saturday afternoon at 3.30, Navy at number 20, UCF, Saturday morning at 11, and Virginia Tech at Liberty, Saturday at noon. And I'll talk Capitals, a very unusual game for the Caps on Thursday night, a 5-4 shootout loss at the St. Louis Blues. The Caps overcame a 3-0 first period deficit. The Caps also demolished the Blues in the puck possession battle, but still ended up losing the game, although at least the Caps did get a point. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Matt Goldstein on something that he came across, writes Matt. Love the podcast. Any chance you can harness the recent Stephen A. Smith sound clip of him saying the commander's name and then dissing it openly? I cracked up because it's on par with the damn Washington Wizards. Peace and God bless. 
Uh, thank you for that, Matt. And Matt was good enough to tweet me the link to the clip. So here was ESPN Stephen A. Smith on ESPN's first take this week. Uh, he was talking about the Commanders. He was talking about him off the win at the Eagles on Monday night. Stephen A. was with Keyshawn Johnson, and Stephen A. gave us this. Even though the Washington Commanders, I'll never get used to that corny, whack name, but never the Commodores. That's why I said Commodores, Lionel Richie, the Commodores. I keep confusing it. All right, there you go. Stephen A. Smith, not a fan of the, quote, corny, whack name, end quote. That is the Commanders. Uh, Now, I still would say that Stephen A. saying the damn Washington Wizards is the better clip just because of the emotion in that clip. The damn Washington Wizards. Yeah, I mean, how great is that, right? I mean, that is one of my all-time favorite drops. Uh, Look, I know that I'm probably in the minority on this, but I actually don't think that Commanders is a terrible name. And I say that as someone who thinks that it may well be that the name of the team should still be Redskins. But if you had to change the name, I don't think that the name Commanders is some awful, hideous crime against humanity, okay? My biggest problem with the name Commanders is the lack of a good one-syllable nickname, but Commanders to me isn't even the worst name of a major professional sports team in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, Wizards to me is worse than Commanders. I still don't like Wizards. It now has been more than 25 years since the Bullets became the Wizards, and the name Wizards still isn't good. And the name of the team still should be Bullets. And the idea that having the name of the team as Bullets would somehow be an endorsement of gun violence is ridiculous, okay? Are the NHL's Carolina Hurricanes an endorsement of the death and devastation caused by hurricanes? Or the San Jose Earthquakes of Major League Soccer an endorsement of the death and devastation caused by earthquakes? Of course not. And the Wizards over the years have all but gone back to the name Bullets with the changing of the uniforms to look a lot like the old Bullets uniforms. But the team, for whatever reason, still won't take that next step of going back to being the Bullets. By the way, big night at Capital One Arena on Friday night. Wizards versus the Miami Heat at 7. The Wizards are reuniting the big three of Gilbert Arenas, Karan Butler, and Antoine Jameson to celebrate throwback night in recognition of the team's 25th anniversary since rebranding to the Wizards. Uh, The Wizards will recognize Gilbert, Antoine, and Karan at the half as, yes, Gilbert, a.k.a. the Hibachi, is back with the Wizards off things, uh, shall we say, not ending so well uh, between him and the team. Email from John in Jersey on Commander's Head Coach Ron Rivera sticking with Taylor Heineke as the team starting quarterback for this Sunday afternoon's game at the Texans, writes John, glad to hear they are going with Tay-Tay. Not sure it was much of a decision, but Ron needed to go through the proper steps to keep Carson Wentz and others calm. Ron had to make a move at quarterback this past offseason, as while Heineke has had some great moments for this team, he is not the long-term solution as a starter. That said, he is a tremendous backup and our best option as a starter now. As you pointed out on Wednesday's show, six games is not a large sample size for Carson with the Commanders, but given all that has gone on this season, Taylor is the best option. He may not have Carson's arm strength, but to date, Taylor has made 
far fewer bad plays. From a business perspective, Ron has to make sure Carson does not play enough to turn that third round pick into a second round pick, or this trade will look even worse. From a team perspective, just cue up a soundbite from the locker room or ride home after the game and hear the effect that Taylor has had on this team. Ron had to make a move for a quarterback this past offseason, and I was hopeful with Carson, but once again, Taylor has risen to the occasion and made the most of his opportunity, even if his play has been shaky at times. Bottom line, it has been less shaky than Carson's play, and the team is fully behind Taylor, and it should be his team until he is injured or plays poorly. Keep up the great work. Uh, Thank you, John. I appreciate that. Good email. Do you know what the Taylor Heineke situation with the commanders is reminding me of? The Jimmy Garoppolo situation with the San Francisco 49ers. And I know the two situations are not perfect comps, but you know, each guy is viewed as limited. Each guy's team has tried to move away from the guy, but each guy's team has ended up coming back to the guy. Each guy is beloved by his teammates, and each guy somehow keeps winning for his team. Taylor Heineke's regular season record for Washington is 10 and 9. Jimmy G's regular season record for the Niners is 35 and 17. And yes, judging quarterbacks by their one loss records is extremely flawed. I am the first to admit that. But seeing what's happening with Taylor Heineke, with Taylor H., uh, has reminded me of what has happened with Jimmy G. Well, like Taylor H., Kellen H., as in Kellen Hunt, is getting the job done. Uh, you know, now actually is a good time to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area. Housing prices are coming down due to an increase in inventory caused by the increases in mortgage rates, with others not buying. Now actually is a great time to buy. When everyone else is zigging, you should be, yes, zagging. Uh, contact real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the Washington, D.C. area real estate market, and he is here for you to listen to what you want, no matter your situation in life. Whether you are a first-time buyer looking for guidance or you have a young family looking for a bigger home or you are ready to retire and or are looking to downsize, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people. He's a great guy and he will listen to you. He's not just some know-it-all. He works for you. He takes in what you're looking for and then gets to work. Smart, attention to detail, creative. Put Kellen Hunt to work for you. And know this, Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. See what he can do for you. Visit closeitwithkell.com and book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kell. Visit closeitwithkell.com and tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you.
Well, this podcast, the Al Galdi podcast, is a success because of you. So thank you. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you're not already doing that. Subscribing costs you nothing and make sure that each episode is automatically downloaded right to your device. Uh, Also, ratings and reviews do help out a lot. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a brief review saying, that you like the podcast. Uh, we on Thursday had the first true practice for the five and five commanders this week in preparation for their game at the one seven and one Houston Texans this Sunday afternoon at one. The commanders on Wednesday conducted a late afternoon walkthrough as opposed to the usual Wednesday midday normal practice as uh, they were, of course, coming off a game on Monday night, the glorious 32-21 win at the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, Next segment, I'll talk commander's defense. Right now, commander's offense, which on Sunday afternoon will be facing a bad defense in that of the Texans. Uh, The Texans through week 10 per Football Outsiders DVOA metric for the 2022 regular season had the following defensive rankings. Number 28 in the NFL in total defense. Number 25 in the NFL in pass defense. Number 31 in the NFL in run defense. Uh, the injury report that the commanders put out on Wednesday afternoon was an estimation of what players would have done had the team conducted an actual practice as opposed to a walkthrough. The injury report that the commanders put out on Thursday afternoon was the exact same as Wednesday afternoon's injury report in terms of the players and their designations. Uh, seven of the nine players on the commander's injury report, offensive players, but only one of them has in practice this week. Uh, running back J.D. McKissick on Thursday was listed as not practicing for a second consecutive day due to the neck issue that has caused him to be inactive for each of the commander's last two games. Uh, receiver Curtis Samuel on Thursday was listed as a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to a shin. Tight end Logan Thomas on Thursday was listed as a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to a rib ailment. Tight end Armani Rogers on Thursday was listed as a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to a knee. Center Tyler Larson on Thursday was listed as a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to his back. And then two commanders running backs remained on the commander's injury report due to knee issues, but each player was listed as a full participant in practice for a second consecutive day. Antonio Gibson and Jonathan Williams. Uh, There were many members of the commanders who came out of that win at the Eagles on Monday night looking good. One of the members of the commanders who came out of that game looking good was offensive coordinator Scott Turner. Uh, His offense this season had not been good. Uh, His offense on Monday night was quite good and against an Eagles team that through week nine was number two in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA for the 2022 regular season. The commanders in the win at the Eagles on Monday night went 12 of 21 on third downs and won the time of possession battle by a staggering 20 minutes, 48 seconds. There were many reasons for these things. Uh, One of the reasons was the commander starting quarterback, Taylor Heineke, who on Sunday afternoon at the Texans will be the commander starting quarterback for a fifth consecutive game. Uh, Head coach Ron Rivera during his post-practice press conference on Wednesday evening announced that Carson Wentz, who is eligible to come off 
the reserve entered list has only just been cleared to throw in his recovery from a fractured right index finger. And so Taylor Heineke will be the team starting quarterback at the Texans. Uh, Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. This was Scott on Taylor Heineke right now being the commander starting quarterback without knowing whether he'll be remaining the commander's starting quarterback. I, I don't worry about that. I mean, Taylor's been through a lot in his career, you know, so he doesn't really take much for granted. Um, he's an ultimate team player, so he's ready to go whatever his role is. Um, obviously, he's a competitor and he wants to play, um, and he is. I mean, he's going to be starting, you know, this week, and, you know, Coach will obviously make those decisions as we go down the road. Uh, but, I don't, no, I don't worry about him with that stuff. He, he's good to go. And what Scott Turner said there echoes the way that Taylor Heineke has been talking about his situation. One of the things that has been really impressive about Taylor during his four-game stretch as the commander starting quarterback in place of the injured Carson Wentz has been Taylor's ability to play well after committing turnovers and or after playing poorly. I mean, we have seen this multiple times. Uh, the win over the Green Bay Packers at FedEx Field in Week 7. Taylor began that game in horrendous fashion. 1-7 for 18 yards, no touchdowns, and a pick six. But Taylor, over the rest of the game, 19-26 for 183 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Uh, the win at the Indianapolis Colts in Week 8, Taylor had a really bad fourth quarter interception, but then came up huge over the commander's final two offensive drives. The win at the Eagles on Monday night, Taylor had a first quarter loss fumble on a sack strip and had a fourth quarter interception, but he came up big on a number of plays. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on Taylor Heineke's ability to play well after committing turnovers and or after playing poorly. I think he just he has a short memory. I mean, he's a confident guy. Uh, he understands, you know, like a lot of good players that, you know, you make a mistake, you move on, don't let it affect you. And he does the same on like he has a big play positively. You move on to the next play. You never get too high, never get too low. Um, the sack fumble is not on him. I mean, he's getting the ball out and he gets hit, hit in the back. I mean, it's unfortunate. Um, and then the interception, you know, he's probably a little little greedy, but I mean, they got it on the seven yard. It was third down, whatever. It's like a punt. So. Um, you know, it, it, you move on to the next play. It, like I've said about him after the Vikings game, when obviously it was negative or anything that happens, you know, he's going to walk that line, and, and I, w I don't want him to lose his, his stinger, and you want him to be aggressive, and that's why everyone loves him, you know, and we, we coach around the other stuff, and you want him to be a good decision maker, but I want him to play confident and, and loose, and, and that's what you're going to get from him sometimes. So, Scott Turner on Taylor Heineke, quote, he's going to walk that line. I don't want him to lose his stinger, end quote. Uh, that's a unique phrase. I don't want him to lose his stinger, but you get the idea. What makes Taylor successful can also get him in trouble. And, you know, part of having him as your starting quarterback is living with the bad that comes with the good. Now, if Taylor is ever going to significantly upgrade how he's viewed, he does need to get the interceptions under control. Taylor Heineke, over 634 regular season pass attempts for Washington, has thrown 19 interceptions. 3% uh, of his pass attempts have resulted in interceptions. That's a high interception rate. You certainly want that 
to come down. Of course, also a big part of the commander's offensive success at the Eagles on Monday night was the commander's running game. Uh, the Eagles through week nine were number 27 in the NFL in run defense per DVOA for the 2022 regular season. The commanders on Monday night adequately exploited this weakness despite not finishing with like dominant stats in terms of basic rushing numbers. So running backs Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson combined for 40 carries for just 130 yards. That works out to just 3.25 yards per carry. But the commander's rushing offense did a number of good things. And, you know, you look at the specifics. Robinson and Gibson each had a one-yard touchdown run. That skewed the yards per carry stat. Uh, Robinson and Gibson combined for a number of other carries in short yardage predicaments. That obviously skewed the yards per carry stat. And the commanders in Robinson, Gibson, and receiver Curtis Samuel totaled 44 carries en route to winning the time of possession battle by that jaw-dropping margin of 20 minutes, 48 seconds. The performance of the commander's running game and the win at the Eagles on Monday night is a good example of how yards per carry doesn't always tell the entire story of a running game. And this is why you hear me bring up stats like DVOA and success rate, because those stats account for context. Uh, This was Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon on what he looks at when determining how well his rushing offense is doing. Not just the run game, but just in general, um, you know, are we having successful scoring drives? You know what I mean? Are we moving the ball down the field? You know, uh, obviously yards per carry weren't great, but we had 49 attempts. A lot of those were short yardage attempts where it's third and one. We get a yard. That's that's good enough, you know, in that situation. Um, some of those runs down on the goal line. So your average is going to be a little bit lower. Uh, we knew it was going to be that type of game. Um, we wanted to do, uh, you know, we wanted to grind it out. Um, we wanted to get in third and short and convert. Uh, we were able to do that. Obviously, the first half set the uh, set the tempo um, with going nine for 12 on third down. Um, you know, we didn't have a great start to start the game, and then we scored on five straight drives. So um, that, was, that was good, you know, and we wanted to get a lead going to halftime we did that so I, I'm not you know the yards per carry wasn't great but as far as it, the run game it was effective because we had a lot of them and we were able to stay on the field yes you were how about this the commanders on Monday night totaled 49 rushing attempts while the Eagles totaled 47 total offensive plays this marked the first time since December 2004 that Washington in a game had more rushing attempts than the opponent had total offensive plays. Uh, I mentioned the commanders on Monday night going 12-21 on third downs. Uh, That included going a sparkling 9-12 of on third downs in the first half. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon got asked about the commanders' extreme success on third downs in the first half of the win at the Eagles on Monday night, and Scott credited the commanders' running game. They were short. I mean, we had th- we had six third and ones. You know, we converted five of them. Um, you know, uh, I think we had a couple third and twos. We had a fourth and one that we got. Um, you know, third and threes. You know, it, it, it goes to the run game, and it wasn't like I said, it wasn't flashy. But getting that three, four, um, I, you know, I felt like I was pretty stubborn with it. Um, 
you know, we wanted to get after those guys. I, you know, I talked to the offensive line about, you know, ch challenging them and the backs of saying, hey, set the tone and be physical in this game. And, you know, I wanted to try to give them the opportunity to do that. And they did that. Um, and then I said, when we get in those third downs, we got to convert, whether it's running or throwing. And we did a nice job running by I me. Mean, we ran one on third and four, you know, um, when we were able to pick up a first down on our first scoring drive. So just being balanced, you know, making the defense defend everything. Um, you know, and then we had a couple plays where guys got open. Yes, you did. So speaking of that, you know, this is a strange season in the NFL. Through Week 10, NFL teams in the 2022 regular season were averaging 4.5 yards per carry. Uh, that would be the highest league-wide yards per carry in a regular season in NFL history. And through Week 10, NFL teams in the 2022 regular season were averaging 11 yards per completion. That would be the lowest league-wide yards per completion since 1933. Uh, we in the NFL this season, for a variety of reasons, have been seeing the return of the running game. This has been a really interesting development. Now, that said, passing the football still is more efficient than running the football. I mean, just look at it like this. A terrible yards per pass attempt is six. A great yards per rush is five. You can move the football in explosive ways with the pass with a much higher frequency than you can with the run. Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon got asked about the balance between, on the one hand, wanting to be committed to the run, while on the other hand, wanting to generate explosive plays, you know, big chunk yardage plays. He specifically was asked how much he thinks about this dilemma. Here was his answer. Yeah, all the time. I mean, uh, you, you, you always, you know, you, we got good, talented players on the perimeter. Uh, you want to get them involved. The, the D lines that we play against week in, week out, everybody's got guys up there that can ruin the game, you know, so, um, you got to get them to, you got to have them do things they don't want to do, which is, you know, set their pads and, and play the run. And that takes an effect. I mean, I just saw some stat that like Hargrave played 70 plays or something in the game because we had 81 of them, you know, and um, I don't think they want their snap counts to be that high. So to keep those guys on the field and make them defend everything, that allows you to get a little more time. Now you can throw the ball and get some of that, those plays down the field. Yeah, I thought that that was a really interesting answer from Scott Turner. Uh, Ron Rivera loves to talk up the importance of the commanders generating a lot of rushing attempts. That is a very old school way of doing offense in the NFL. I do wonder if that is in conflict with what Scott Turner wants to do, because Scott seems like someone who's pretty modern in his offensive philosophies. But there's no doubt that the commitment to the run worked in the win at the Eagles on Monday night. And keep in mind, the reason that the commitment to the run worked on Monday night was because the commander's rushing offense worked. You know, if your rushing offense isn't effective, then being committed to the run isn't good. It's foolish. Uh, well, the commander's rushing offense on Monday night was effective. Here was another good answer from Scott Turner on Thursday afternoon. Him on his play calling being based on game planning versus being based on forming an offensive identity for his team? Uh, I think those things go a little bit hand in hand. Um, you know, every week is going to create a different set of challenges based on personnel or scheme, you know. So what you see from a defense may affect, you know, how you plan on attacking them. With all that being said, 
we know the, our strengths. And what we try to do as best as we can is match our strengths against the other team's weaknesses. And sometimes you just feel so good about your strength that you say, hey, let's see if they can stop it, even if they're good at stopping it. You know what I mean? Um, but we try not to be that stubborn and hard-headed all the time. Most of the time, you know, we're trying to – but, you, you know, like – we're going to give our guys chances to make plays, you know, and um, maybe it is something that that defense does good, but you got to uh, sometimes you got to find out if they can stop it. Yeah, I mean, the best NFL offenses are good at both the pass and the run. Uh, now, the Commanders overall this season have been good at neither the pass nor the run. Uh, the Commanders through Week Ten per DVOA, number twenty-five in the NFL in total offense, number twenty-seven in the NFL in passing offense, number 25 in the NFL in rushing offense. But Monday night was a good night for the commander's offense, and hopefully this Sunday afternoon will feature a second straight good game for the offense. If you would like to sponsor the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode at a very affordable price, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. We shall see if Commander's Edge defender Chase Young in this game at the Houston Texans this Sunday afternoon at one finally makes his 2022 season debut. I'm not counting on it, but obviously it could happen. Uh, He remains on the reserve physically unable to perform list due to his recovery from the torn right ACL of the Commanders on November 2nd activated Chase to return to practice. They have until November 23rd to move him to the active roster. Uh, This entire process, of course, has been uh, slow and deliberate. And, you know, those things aren't necessarily bad things. But I think we all would agree this recovery has taken quite a while. And this recovery has ended up being lengthier than anyone would have ever wanted. Uh, Now, ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter on Tuesday morning did tweet that Chase was, quote, expected to be activated this week to play Sunday, end quote. But The sense that I'm getting is that it's far from a guarantee that he'll be activated for this game at the Texans. We'll see. Uh, In the meantime, just two defensive players have been on the commander's injury reports so far this week. Linebacker Cole Holcomb on Thursday was listed as not practicing for a second consecutive day due to the foot injury that has caused him to be inactive for each of the commander's last three games, so he could be out for a fourth consecutive game. And linebacker David Mayo on Thursday was listed as a limited participant in practice for a second consecutive day due to the hamstring injury that has caused him to be inactive for each of the Commanders' last two games. So the Commanders, through Week 10, were number 13 in the NFL in total defense for Football Outsiders' DVOA metric for the 2022 regular season. They, on Sunday afternoon, will be facing a bad Texans offense. The Texans, through Week 10, had the following rankings per DVOA for the 2022 regular season. Number 30 in the NFL in total offense. Number 30 in the NFL in passing offense. Number 26 in the NFL in rushing offense. Uh, There has been a good bit of praise for the Texans by Commanders head coach Rod Rivera in recent days, but the truth is the Texans are terrible. 
The commander's defense has been especially good over the team's last eight games. Even though the defense had an overall uneven performance in the team's last game, the 32-21 win at the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday night. You know, you think about that game and now this upcoming game for the commanders. They're going from playing at the NFL-leading Eagles, who were 8-0 entering Monday night, to now playing at the Texans, who are an NFL-worst 1-7-1. Commander's defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio did a post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon. This was Jack on going from playing a big game at the NFL's best team to now playing a game at the NFL's worst team. Yeah, as a player who's been um, a part of of both sides, um, and as a coach who's been involved in games in those situations, I know how important it is that um, we prepare and that we go compete and be be ready to strain for 60 minutes because the NFL is full of talented players and coaches. Um, And those that are disrespected are always scary because they all have talent. We all have talent. So we are going in um, looking for their best and preparing, respectful, because we know what it feels like to be disrespected. We were disrespected last week and have been quite a bit over the first start of this year. But it, it, it doesn't really matter because our focus is on our preparation. But I think the understanding, the respect for the game and the coaches and the players that work so hard to prepare each week, it's, it's legitimate. And I have countless examples of why you should throughout my playing and coaching career. So, um, hey, you get these opportunities to go compete, you get yourself ready, and then you go compete, and then... And when the game's over, you either go home happy or you don't. But uh, that's what it is. We, we, that's what we do. We, we prepare and we put our necks on the line. I mean, we put it out there each week. As players and coaches, that's what we do. So we're getting prepared for next. Yeah, you know, the concept of the letdown game is such a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason. Because we do see letdown performances In sports, and if ever there was a letdown scenario for the Commanders, this Sunday afternoon's game at the Texans would seem to be a letdown scenario for the Commanders. Uh, They're coming off a big win, they're playing at a terrible team, and they're playing in a short week. (laughs) That's like a perfect recipe for a letdown loss. Well, something that would work toward preventing a letdown loss for the Commanders at the Texans on Sunday afternoon would be more takeaways. Uh, The Commanders in the win at the Eagles on Monday night generated four takeaways, including three in the fourth quarter. And the Commanders generated four takeaways, A, despite the Eagles having committed just three turnovers over the team's 8 and 0 start to the 2022 regular season, and B, despite the Commanders' defense having totaled just five takeaways over the team's 4 and 5 start to the 2022 regular season. I have said that takeaways can be random and can be fluky and can come out of nowhere, and you can have very few takeaways, and then all of a sudden get a bunch of takeaways, and vice versa. But here was my man, Jack Del Rio, on Thursday afternoon on the nature of the takeaway. There's nothing lucky about it. Um, It's only portrayed that way when it happens, uh, and a lot of people didn't expect it. But um, we work at it. You know, it's it's part of our focus. Uh, They come in bunches. 
You've heard me say that a few times. Well, they certainly came in bunches the other night. And, um, you know, people that discredit it are just trying to justify uh, the position they had prior to that event. And um, they were wrong. It's easier to try and justify something than just admit you were wrong. <laughs> I like that. Don't tell Jack Del Rio. Don't tell JDR that his commanders on Monday night enjoyed some good turnover luck, uh, even though they did. And that's not to say that effort and skill weren't big parts of the commanders generating the four takeaways. Effort and skill were big parts of the commanders generating the four takeaways. But, I mean, you're being naive if you don't think that the team enjoyed some good turnover luck. Linebacker Jamin Davis got away with a blatant face mask penalty on a fumble recovery in the fourth quarter. That is good turnover luck. You don't have to apologize for that, but just understand what happened. Well, a key player for the commanders in their four takeaways in the win at the Eagles on Monday night was safety Derek Forrest. Uh, He had an interception and a fumble recovery. He also was the highest graded commander's defensive player per pro football focus for the game. He registered an overall grade of 79.2. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Forrest's overall grade per PFF for the 2022 regular season is a very good 81.7. And, you know, you think about this rising commander's defense, it is getting some really nice production from three second-year players, linebacker Jamin Davis, who Washington took with the number 19 pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, corner Benjamin St. Juice, who Washington took in the third round of the 2021 Draft, and safety Derek Forrest, who Washington took in the fifth round of the 2021 draft. How good is that 2021 draft for Washington starting to look here? Uh, Jack Del Rio on Thursday afternoon on those three second-year commanders defensive players who are emerging, and then you'll hear Jack focus on Derek Forrest. I think think, um, several of our young players have improved, which um, is a credit to them working really hard, um, the staff members that are working with them. Uh, you look at, you know, Benjamin. Uh, you look at Jamin. You look at at, uh, at Derek. You know, they're, they're all making big plays for us. They're all improving players. They're all playing with more and more confidence, and, um, and that's a great thing. So I think, I think Derek has shown he's got a nose for the ball. He's a, he's a physical guy. He'll, he'll come down and, and, uh, and really uh, lay the wood. Um, and he's active in the back end, you know, so he's, he's played, he's played well for us. And, uh, you know, Bobby being able to move down and play some, some nickel and Cam being flexible and being able to play that role. Uh, and those guys being interchangeable there allow Defoe to, uh, to do what he can do in the back end. And, and I, I think, I think the group is, uh, is doing well. And I think Defoe's a big part of it. Yes, he is. Uh, also a big part of it is the aforementioned Benjamin St. Juice. Now, the Juice this season has had a penalty problem. Uh, Benjamin St. Juice in the 2022 regular season has five accepted penalties. He, on Monday night in the first quarter, committed a second and 13 30-yard pass interference penalty in covering Eagles receiver Devontae Smith. And so we, on Thursday afternoon, had the following exchange between Commander's Insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com and Jack Del Rio. Last week, we talked about a pass interference call against St. Juice, and 
you disagreed with it, yeah. kind of the same thing this week. I'll I'll spare you the fine. I won't ask you about it. But <clears throat> is there a situation where you come and you say, "Hey, we're in the right, but they've called this two weeks in a row. Maybe we need to change what we're doing." No, no. I I, I like I like what he's doing. I like how he's doing it. I want him to continue to challenge and uh, and and play the way he has. I think he's playing outstanding football for us. Yeah, Benjamin St. Juice is doing a good job. He is handsy. He is physical, so he's going to get called for penalties. But what you have to keep in mind is that he's probably going to be getting away with stuff, too, because officials are only going to penalize a player so much. It's interesting when you look at secondaries in the NFL and penalties. Uh, There actually is very little correlation between penalties for secondaries and whether those secondaries are good or bad. And I think that a reason for that is that a secondary that gets called for a lot of penalties probably also is getting away with a lot of penalties and thus is being effective in that way. Uh, Well, if you have been victimized by the negligence of someone else, you certainly want to be represented by a law firm that is effective. Consider Holson and Nace as effective as the commander's defense is right now. Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are like that great safety duo for the commanders right now. They are like the Cameron Curl and Derek Forrest of Washington, D.C. lawyers. No law firm does a better job of fighting for victims than Paulson and Nace does. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C., and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace, they are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. You see, Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who caused clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. This is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. Heck, take a case that was recently concluded. Paulson and Nace in July won a case for which the United States government was paying nearly $1.8 million. Uh, This to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Paulson and Nace defeated the U.S. government. Again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can schedule that no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. 
Well, not since 2018 has Washington been 6-5 and five or better through 11 games in an NFL regular season. That can change this Sunday afternoon. The 5-5 five and five Commanders at the 1-7-1 and one Houston Texans this Sunday afternoon at 1. Time now to learn more about the Texans. Time to get smartened up about the Texans. And I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Texans insider Sean Bajani of Sports Radio 610 KILT in Houston. You can follow him on Twitter at Sean Bajani, and that's spelled S H A U N B I J A N I. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm great, man. Good to see you. Good to talk with you. It's always great to talk some football. Uh, no matter how bad your football team is in town, it's always good to talk some ball. Well, here in the Washington, D.C. area, we are used to bad NFL football, although hopefully things are changing with our team. We'll see. But with the Texans, so worst record in the NFL at 1-7-1, and uh, second worst point differential in the NFL at minus 58. Simple question. I'm guessing a lengthy answer, and that's just fine. But the Texans' biggest problems are what? Well, if you want to talk about what's happened on the field, that's one thing. If you want to talk about roster construction and the grand plan, that's a completely different thing. Um, so I'll try to make it all-encompassing. Uh, you know, when Nick Casario took over as general manager, I mean, he had a vision. Um, and he, I, I think we're, we're starting to see that come to fruition. He's had two drafts under his belt now, and but he's been cap-restrained. Um, they were, there were a lot of bad contracts that he had to deal with when he'd come on board uh, that Bill O'Brien signed on guys like Laramie Tunsil, um, which was a huge deal. And it's a fine one, especially when you're talking about one of the better left tackles. But there were some other deals that they had to get out of underneath from. Um, and they've been able to do that. But in terms of like having the space to do so and really get better players in, we're not going to see that happen until next year. The same year, in fact, that they have 11, 12 draft picks and two in the first round uh, as it is. So I think really this is the first year of the rebuild while last year was the last year of the teardown, if that makes sense. And I think, um, you know, we'll start to see more uh, competitive players and a more competitive coaching staff. And by that, I mean, I think this one in large part will change at season's end. Um, I think you really don't have a choice, especially considering the fact you'll you'll most likely be drafting a quarterback named Bryce Young. And I don't think they believe Pep Hamilton's the right guy to develop a quarterback, at least in an offensive coordinator role. And for him to take a demotion would be kind of interesting. And I think keeping Lovey Smith on as just a defensive coordinator would be interesting. But, you know, this is a systematic tank. I don't know that anybody else has really used that verbiage um, aside from myself. And so... He, Allow me to just explain a systematic tank, and what I mean by that is just the construction. This this roster is largely constructed by uh, journeymen in the NFL and players like Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, Malik Collins. Um, maybe not so much Malik because I think he still has some prime years left in him. But in terms of Addison and Hughes, two guys uh, on defense that have been stellar this season, in particular Jerry Hughes, who's off to his best start ever in his 13-year NFL career, you're trying to squeeze every last bit of life you possibly can out of guys like that. Mixing those guys, good team company guys, with a young roster that consists of Jalen Petrie, Derek Stanley, Damian Pierce, Kenyon Green, and I could go on and on. 
there is a good mix of young, promising talent with journeymen and Jags, just another guy. Um, so I think that's just simply the product that you're putting on the field and you have to expect, you know, rookie mistakes. You have to expect to be out athleted, uh, on a weekly basis when you're facing some of the better pass rushers in the league, some of the best running backs in the NFL over the course of the last five years, as the Texans are continuing to go through this gauntlet of running backs and great run games, they'll see another one in you guys this week. Um, so, I think the missed tackles, what you're seeing on the field, is reason number one. And it's because of the lack of physicality. And tackling is more than about a a will and a want to. It is a skill. It is something that the best of the best possess. I mean, just look at a guy like Buda Baker, for instance. (laughs) Who on the Texans team is tackling with any anything close to the level of, of Buddha and puts that fear in an offense's eyes. No, there's nobody. They're they're just guys. Petrie's a guy who's who's going to get better. He'll develop. He'll put some weight on. He'll get stronger. Derek Stingley, same thing. Desmond King. You know, if you had ten other other Desmond Kings out there, you'd love it, but you just don't. So I think that's in large part what you're seeing right now. Interesting what you said about Lovey Smith. Uh, the Texans in January fired David Culley after just one season as a team's head coach. And you think that Lovey is going to be one and done as well? Yeah, and I think um, the, the, the picture that's going to be painted, at least here locally, if not nationally as well, is the Texans. Unfortunately, um, and I'm not saying that it should be painted this way, but I mean, you know how the media is and the things they like to latch on to especially in regards to diversity in the NFL in terms of their coaching staff. Well, they're going to look at the Texans. They're going to say, hey, well, you fired Romeo Cornell, you fired David Culley, and you fired Lovey Smith. You fired three black coaches. And the Texans aren't in a position to stand up and defend themselves since they really don't have anybody that can go in front of a camera and do that. Uh, Nick Casario is excellent in front of the camera, but he's a master deflector. And so to get the correct message across, if you're even going to try to combat something like that, it's a lose-lose. So I think the Texans will just continue to operate status quo, and they'll have the opportunity to put together a really good search, I think, for the first time with the promise of a much improved roster. So I think that part is key. I, I just I think Lovey Smith is probably not the perfect guy for this current job, but I think he's a good guy for this current job that deadpan dry sense of humor, that grandfatherly, um, you know, aura he has about him, that calming sense, uh, for a lot of these young players who are experiencing being humbled on a football field for, um, the first lengthened time in their entire career, whether it be middle school, high school, or collegiate ball, they're not used to losing like this and answering the questions and having, Uh, their feet held to the fire. And so I think Lovey's probably the perfect guy for the job right now. But going forward, developing a quarterback and being ready to win in the NFL again, I'm not so sure. We're talking Commanders Texans with Texans insider Sean Bajani of Sports Radio 610 KILT in Houston. The Texans in October, as they put it, mutually agreeing to part ways uh, with Executive Vice President of Football Operations Jack Easterby, who I know was disliked by a lot of people. This pretty clearly was a firing, but how significant was the Texans parting with Easterby? In terms of 
the day-to-day with the Houston Texans and how they operate, not as significant as um, people think. Uh, Jack Easterby, uh, for months prior to the mutual parting of the ways, which you know we can all agree that it was not a mutual parting of the ways, um, he in large part had his responsibilities um, you know, taken away and his role severely reduced. Um, what led to that decision? That's that's a million dollar question. Uh, we're kind of left to our own devices in coming up with the reasoning, but one could only figure that, you know, it was the public perception which was creating a ton of outside noise. Obviously, not just local, but certainly nationally. Um, and I think Cal McNair, you know, saw the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of roster construction, the draft capital that they've now accumulated, the room that they're going to have to spend in regard to their cap and some of the promise that these young players that they already have in house now for the last uh, year or two, but in particular, the 2022 draft, which looks absolutely fantastic right now for Nick Casario. I think he saw that and said, you know, like we're winning in so many other areas and we're going to be set up beautifully, but People hate us right now. I mean, they have lost a large chunk of this fan base, uh, believe it or not. I mean, this is an organization, Al, that for 20 straight years sold out every single game. And win or lose, people were coming, people were tailgating, and walking through the lots now on my way to games on Sundays, it's it's really sad to see. It reminds me of the old days with the Houston Oilers when you knew Bud Adams was going to move them to Tennessee. That was going to happen. People were showing up with paper bags over their faces. Now, it's not to that extent, but there was no tailgating. There was there was no excitement. There was no vibe in the, in, in the parking lot or in the stadium. And nowadays, it's just more about like, well, boy, you know, I hope whoever comes in the house, like maybe they have some good players we can enjoy watching or, you know, things like, hey, Thursday night football, it's the lone primetime game, you know, on your sketchy internet that you have to look forward to. But that, that's been kind of it. I, I just don't think it was that big of a move. And I think Cal saw that from an optic standpoint, Easter being this organization wasn't going to work. The timing of it is the most interesting to me because I think everybody was in agreement that he was going to certainly be fired or we would have heard this mutual parting of the ways at season's end why in the beginning or in the middle of this season that was the real question and look at some of these personnel moves that they're they're doing i mean they just brought Eno benjamin in in the last 24 hours um they're cycling through linebackers they're working out different corners safeties and i think these are all moves to really get guys in-house and see who can be contributors next year. So I think that is probably your reason why uh, they let Jack Easterby go, which couldn't have been soon enough. Uh, The Texans' starting quarterback, Davis Mills III, they took him in the third round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Stanford. He, all things considered, did do some nice things in his rookie season, but he's having a hard time this season. What has stood out to you about Mills this season? You know, the first couple of games this season, I think you could make the argument that he regressed. Um, and I still think you can make that same argument. He's late on throws. He checks down too early. Um, he's done a little bit better of a job of stepping up in the pocket. But the problem with that is go back and look at that interception that he threw into double coverage in the left side of the end zone in the red zone. Another red zone turnover um, this past weekend for the Texans. He had Brandon Cooks. Single coverage, could have thrown him wide open, and throwing guys open is something that he has not been good at. Um, 
at this stage of his NFL career. And so I think when you talk about where he should be versus where he was when he first came into the league, I think, yeah, you can, you can pick and prod and say that he's regressed, but it's really about the lack of progress in watching him do things by now that he should at least be attempting. And the aggressive nature you know, that I think a lot of fans want to see just doesn't exist in him. You know, he even talked about that there's a fine line between taking risks and keeping your team in a game and playing conservative. And I think we've obviously seen more of the latter than that of the former for Davis Mills. But, you know, those are just some of the things that I, I think technically on the field, what he says he's been working with, we just haven't seen, whether it be stepping up in the pocket, using his legs to extend plays, which is tough. And the offensive line comes into that as well, because while you have two of, two of the better right and left tackles in the league in Laramie Tunsil and Titus Howard, they may not be great and certainly used to. They haven't been over the last couple of three years of moving laterally outside of the pocket, not since Deshaun Watson was your quarterback. And so we know that they could do it, but the question really kind of comes down to is Pep Hamilton seeing that as a strength of Davis Mills? Is he willing to chance that um, with this offense? Because this is the first time in five years that he's had an opportunity to be coordinator. And I almost feel bad for him that he's got this roster to work with um, because I do think he has some creative elements about him. But I also think that he has plenty of shortcomings as an offensive play caller as well. It's always a difficult thing, Al, whenever you're talking about the failures of a quarterback versus a first-year offensive coordinator for the first time in five years and the talent around them. I always say, particularly a quarterback, it kind of comes down to right time, right place, right situation. And I think we're seeing that um, in Philadelphia right now with Jalen Hurts. Um, I think we see it routinely across the league, whether it be Kyler Murray in Arizona. And some of it has staying power and some of it doesn't. And I certainly don't think that they ever got off on the right foot, nor did they really ever hope to here in Houston with Mills. Well, a bright spot for the Texans has been rookie running back Damian Pierce. Uh, Texans took him in the fourth round of the 2022 NFL Draft out of Florida. I know that he had that costly loss fumble in the Texans' last game, the 24-16 loss at the New York Giants last Sunday afternoon. But what do the Texans have in Pierce? He's special. He's 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 a special player. And um, I, I don't know if bringing in Eno Benjamin – Within the last 24 hours, he'll, he'll practice tomorrow for the Texans. Uh, he probably won't play on Sunday uh, against Washington. Uh, what the Texans have typically done when they bring guys in, they'll it'll be like a week ramp-up period. But I hesitate to say that they brought Eno in to kind of take some of the load away from Damian Pierce, who over the course of the last three games has really seen his touches increase pretty steadily after then brought him along pretty slow, giving a lot of the touches to Rex Burkhead and most of the reasoning by the staff and the players at that point in time. And Pierce would even tell you that, hey, I needed to get better at identifying the blitz, uh, using my hands as a pass blocker, things like that. Um, Pass catching was never really an issue. So Eno kind of brings, you know, the full package to the table, just coming from a bad situation in Arizona where they don't really run the ball hardly at all to begin with, um, which led to his departure there. Um, you know, that confrontation with the coach about playing time and so on and so forth. So I don't know if it's really to spell Pierce or if it's really to take reps away from Rex Burkhead at this point in time, if they feel like Pierce is 
far along enough where they need him to be, where they might just move on from Burkhead. And I don't know if that means like waving him or cutting him because I think, you know, good company guys, good teammates, good mentors, you know, those guys you'd like to keep in house, certainly, especially with the cost is down like a guy with Rex, like, like it is with Rex Burkhead. But I think it probably speaks to more with Daria Gumbawale, who's been, you know, vying for more playing time and hasn't seen it outside of special teams and has been thrown in here and there just kind of by happenstance to give Pierce a, a spell after a 40 yard run or 20 yards of breaking six tackles. Um, but as, as far as Pierce goes, the guy's special. He runs low to the ground. He's just shot out of a cannonball. He's patient, though. Um, and with this offensive line, I think while it's been pretty middle of the road, a lot of the credit should go to Damian Pierce for allowing the offensive line to get those blocks and open up some of those cutback lanes um, because that's really where he's been able to put that foot in the ground and go. And when he's going and ramping up to full speed, that's why you're seeing it's so hard to bring him down. I, I said it from day one after preseason watching him, Al, that the number, you know, he's on pace for over 1,400 yards in the season. That'll break the rookie record by almost 200 yards, which was set by Steve Slayton years back. But I said beginning of the year that it won't be the overall rush yards that we're talking about and going, wow, it's the yak. It's the yards after contact. And you're seeing it week in and week out with Pierce. And I think you'll continue to see that. And it'll be interesting to follow his workload, too. One more for you. If you are Commander's Offensive Coordinator Scott Turner, who or what about the Texans' defense is exploitable? What are you looking to do offensively on Sunday afternoon? Run the ball and run it right up the gut. You know, that's that's really where they've been weakest. Now, granted, over the course of the last couple of weeks, Christian Kirksey, their middle linebacker, has improved a little bit with his fits and sure tackling ability. But let's be honest. I mean, it it is it is a glaring hole in that Texans defense, the run defense. Jerry Hughes off the edge has been an absolute monster, very disruptive. But one of his weaknesses, you know, you know, really has been over pursuing and kind of crashing too soon, which has allowed the running back to escape out backside. And a lot of the plays that have gone for big yardage um, can be to his side. I don't know that it's been the case over the course of the last couple of weeks, because I do think they've cleaned some stuff up systematically. Um, But they're really weak up uh, in the middle with Kurt Heinisch and Roy Lopez, Christian Kirksey at linebacker, those other two, obviously defensive tackle. Um, and look, you're seeing Jonathan Owens, who's the free safety, you know, leading the team in tackles. And at one point in time, for the first three, four weeks, led the NFL in tackles. There's a reason for that. Um, there's a lot of missed tackles and probably none more egregious than, unfortunately, the one that we saw this past week with Jalen Petrie. That Darius Slayton five-yard gain turned into a 54-yard touchdown in the third quarter. Really swung the momentum and swung the entire complexion of that game for the Texans. Whereas if... He holds them to five yards, and they punt there. It, it It's a completely different football game, just as if Damian Pierce doesn't fumble that ball in the red zone. If Davis Mills doesn't throw that interception, it's those things. Create turnovers. You know, Don't give them opportunities to take the ball away. That is the key because – and it sounds very blanket, very general, but whoever turns the football game over in a game more times than not is going to lose. And the Texans – They've been very careless with the football this season in terms of their quarterback play. Mills has thrown, I believe, five interceptions over the course of the last four games and four straight games, I believe, with a pick. Um, He is susceptible because 
the success they did have last week in throwing the ball down the field in the second half, uh, in large part, you saw a lot of those chunky gains on that final drive for them, where I think they completed four straight first downs for gains of like 11, 12, 15 yards at a pop. So a lot of that's garbage time. Don't look too much into that. He's going to take his chances by mistake, and Washington can certainly capitalize on that. All right, Texans insider Sean Bajani of Sports Radio 610 KILT in Houston. Great insight on the Texans. Sean, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate the opportunity. Talk some ball. Hope we get a chance to do it again. Y'all have a good week. All right, well, the week will be a lot better if the Commanders get a win at the Texans on Sunday afternoon. And so up next, my rhyming keys for a Commanders win at the Texans on Sunday afternoon, as I will rhyme the path to victory. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Well, the Houston Texans, uh, their first NFL season was 2002. The Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders have played five regular season games against the Texans. Uh, Washington's record in these games is two and three, including three consecutive losses, the last of which was the Alex Smith injury game. This installment of the Al Galdi podcast is for Friday, November 18th. It was on November 18th, 2018, 
that we had the Alex Smith injury game. The Redskins fell to 6-4 and four with a 23-21 loss to the Texans at FedEx Field. And in this game, we had very eerily 33 years to the day on which quarterback Joe Theismann suffered his famous career-ending broken leg in the Redskins' 23-21 win over the New York Giants on Monday Night Football. Quarterback Alex Smith suffered his season-ending and career and life-altering broken fibula and tibia in his right leg in the third quarter. A lot has changed for Washington since the Alex Smith injury game. And the team, which now is known as the Commanders, will be at the Texans this Sunday afternoon with a chance to notch a fifth win in six games since a four-game losing streak. How do the Commanders get to six and five? Well, my friends, it is that time. The time to rhyme. It is time for rhyming keys. My keys to a Commander's victory in rhyming fashion. Uh, Oh, these rhymes, they are not meant to be good. They are only meant to make a few points. And in fact, I have a saying for this segment, the worse the rhyme, the better the time. And so here we go. Hardcore analysis combined with scheduled fun, rhyming keys for a commander's win at the Texans. How do the commanders win this game? We now rhyme the ways. Rhyming key number one, This is for the commander's defense. Be fierce against Pierce. Rookie running back Damian Pierce. He may well be the biggest bright spot on the Texans. Uh, He threw week 10, was number five in the NFL in rushing yards for the 2022 regular season, 772. Uh, He's averaging 4.68 yards per carry. He is the latest proof that you can find good running backs on day twos and day threes of NFL drafts. The Texans took Pierce in the fourth round of the 2022 NFL draft out of Florida. Here was Commander's Defensive Coordinator Jack Del Rio during his post-practice press conference on Thursday afternoon on Damian Pierce. When you watch the film, it gets your attention. He runs extremely hard. Um, they do a good job with design and, um, and execution. And I think he's a, as hard a runner as there is in the game. So how about that from Jack Del Rio on Damian Pierce, quote, I think he's as hard a runner as there is in the game, end quote. Uh, A commander's loss at the Texans would figure to include Damian Pierce having a good game. The good news is that the commander's run defense this season has been exceptional. Uh, The commanders through week 10 were number two in the NFL in run defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric for the 2022 regular season. All the commanders need do is do as they've been doing against the run. But Damian Pierce is a good back. Stopping him won't be easy. And so rhyming key number one, this for the commander's defense, be fierce against Pierce. Rhyming key for commander's Texans number two. This also is for the commander's defense. Allow no thrills for Davis Mills. (laughs) I told you these rhymes are not good. Texans quarterback Davis Mills III. Uh, They took him in the third round of the 2021 NFL Draft out of Stanford. He's not having a good season. 
Uh, now, as we talked about with Texans insider Sean Bajani of Sports Radio 610 KILT in Houston last segment, Mills' struggles this season aren't all on him, but understand who the commanders are facing this Sunday afternoon. Davis Mills the third, DM3, uh, he threw week 10, was 30th out of 31 qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR for the 2022 regular season. By the way, uh, Commander's quarterback Carson Wentz was 29th, but I digress. It is true that Davis Mills III did do some nice things in his 2021 rookie season. It also is true that he's having a bad season, and this Commander's defense that overall is playing well should have its way with Davis Mills III and the Texans' passing offense. And something that would be nice to see would be the commander's defense getting back to being dominant on third downs. You know, the commanders over their last three games actually have allowed opponents to go a combined 17 of 36 on third downs. Uh, This off the commanders over their first seven games of this 2022 regular season, having held opposing teams to combined 26 of 88, 29.55% on third downs. Uh, The Texans through week 10 were 30th out of 32 NFL teams in third down efficiency for the 2022 regular season at 31%. And so rhyming key number two, this for the commander's defense, allow no thrills for Davis Mills. Rhyming key for commander's Texans number three, this is for the entire commander's offense. You're facing a woeful Texans D led by head coach Lovie in the stadium of NRG. So how about you finally score 30? Yeah, that was a lengthy rhyming key, but this is a key rhyming key. So the, the, the Texan stadium is NRG stadium. The Texans do not have a defensive coordinator. They do, though, have a head coach with a significant defensive background in Lovey Smith. But the Texans also have a hideous defense. The Texans through week 10 were 28th out of 32 NFL teams in total defense per DVOA for the 2022 regular season and were 29th out of 32 NFL teams in lowest opponents' yards per play. Now, the Commanders in their 32-21 win at the Philadelphia Eagles this past Monday night did finally score at least 30 points in a game in the 2022 regular season. But remember, the final six points came on a defensive touchdown. Edge defender Casey Tuhill on the final snap of the game had a one-yard fumble return for a touchdown on a desperation lateral play by the Eagles. Uh, How about, you ready for this? The commanders on Sunday afternoon actually scoring at least 30 points via the team's offense. How about the commander's offense this Sunday afternoon having a truly big game? Now, don't get me wrong. The commander's offense in the win at the Eagles did plenty of good things, especially considering that the Eagles have a really good defense. But wouldn't it be nice to see the commanders in this game at the Texans have offensive success early in the game get out to a nice lead, and enjoy a comfortable, stress-free win. You know, the Texans through Week 10 had led for an NFL low 11.4% of their offensive plays in the 2022 regular season. The Texans this season have routinely been trailing. Let's continue that trend this Sunday afternoon. The Texans are a really bad team. Let's see quarterback Taylor Heineke 
have a big game. Let's see receivers Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Jahan Dodson have good games. Let's see running backs Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson have good games. And so rhyming key number three, this for the entire commander's offense, you're facing a woeful Texans D led by head coach Lovey in the stadium of NRG. So how about you finally score 30? There you go. All right, it is prediction time. Uh, the line for this game per Winbed as of very early Friday morning was Commanders minus three. You know, that line is concerning given that the Commanders are five and five or coming off the big win at the Eagles this past Monday night and the Texans are an NFL worst one, seven and one. Logic would suggest that the Commanders should be bigger favorites, that the Commanders aren't bigger favorites. I think tells you what Vegas is thinking about our Mandos, about our Durs. Uh, but that said, the Texans are terrible. If the Commanders are anything close to the team that we want the Commanders to be, they should win this game. And really, they should win this game handily. And if they don't win this game, well, we are going to have quite the conversation on Monday's installment of the Al Galdi podcast. But give me the Commanders minus the three. Final score, Commanders 27, Texans 14, Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson combined for 150 rushing yards. We move now to college football, week 12 of the season, and it is time for Goldilocks. You've heard of Goldilocks. These are Goldilocks, my previews and picks against the spreads for Maryland, Navy, Virginia Tech, and Virginia. Uh, no game for Virginia this week of the horrendous tragedy Last Sunday night, uh, Virginia on Thursday morning did announce the cancellation of what would have been UVA's home finale, a game against Coastal Carolina on Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Uh, so Goldilocks, 3-2 and two last week. All point spreads are from WinBet and are as of very early Friday morning. Here we go. Goldilocks, game number one, Maryland home to number two, Ohio State. Saturday afternoon at 3.30. The Terrapins are plus 27 and a half. You know, I went to Maryland, like a lot of Terps fans. I was thinking that things this season were different with Maryland football. And, you know, to a certain extent, things are different with Maryland football this season. Things are better with Maryland football this season. But, you know, the last two games have felt a whole lot like way too many recent seasons. And now here we are well into the month of November and the Terps are a 27 and a half point underdog at home, albeit to a powerhouse in Ohio State. Uh, the Terps fell to six and four overall and three and four in the Big Ten with a 30 nothing loss at then number 14 Penn State last Saturday. Terps, for a second consecutive game, got manhandled on the road in a bad weather game as they were coming off a 23-10 loss at Wisconsin on November 5th. Uh, what is going on with Terps quarterback Talia Tungavailoa? He has been really bad in each of the last two games. Now, he did suffer an aggravated sprain ride MCL in a 38-33 win at Indiana on October 15th. Missed a game. Maybe the knee is worse than we know, but man, he 
has not looked like himself over these last two games. Uh, now, that hasn't been all on him, okay? The Terps offensive line is having major issues, and so is the Terps defense. Uh, Maryland has given up a ton on the ground in each of the last two games. The loss at Wisconsin, the Terps allowed Badgers running backs Braylon Allen and Isaac Garendo and receiver Skylar Bell to combine for 38 carries for 285 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, those three players combined average 7.5 yards per carry. And in the loss at Penn State, the Terps allowed Penn State running backs Nicholas Singleton, Katron Allen, and Tyler Holsworth to combine for 30 carries for 209 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Singleton totaled 122 yards and two touchdowns over just 11 carries. He averaged 11.09 yards per carry. And so coming to town is maybe the best team in all of college football, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, they are 10-0. They are number two in the latest college football playoff rankings. Uh, the Buckeyes through week 11 were number two in the FBS in the SP Plus rankings of ESPN college football analyst Bill Conley. Uh, the Buckeyes starting quarterback C.J. Stroud through week 11 was number one among all qualified quarterbacks in the FBS in ESPN's total QBR for this season at 90.8 QBRs on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, the Buckeyes have a running back in Mayan Williams, who may be the best running back in the FBS. This season, over 117 carries, is averaging 6.69 yards per carry and has 13 rushing touchdowns. The only question with this game is whether the Terps will lose by more or less than 27 and a half points. Uh, give me Ohio State minus 27 and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Thank you, Snoop Dogg. Goldilocks game number two. Navy at number 20 UCF Saturday morning at 11. Uh, yes, brunch with the midshipmen. Uh, they are plus 15 and a half. Third consecutive game for the mids in which they are big-time underdogs, but the mids have been the right side for each of their last two games. Uh, a 2010 loss at Cincinnati on November 5th, Navy was an 18-and-a-half-point underdog in multiple shops, and a 35-32 loss to then number 20 Notre Dame at M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore, Maryland last Saturday afternoon. Navy was a 17-point underdog for multiple shops. Uh, now, that loss did clinch Navy having a third consecutive losing season as the Mids fell to 3-7 and seven overall. Uh, the Mids lost the first half 35-13, but they then won the second half 19-0, including cutting their deficit to three at 35-32 with a buck 21 left in the fourth quarter. And the Mids did this without their starting quarterback, Ty Lovatai. Uh, he suffered a season-ending injury in Navy's 27-20 overtime win over Temple at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis, Maryland on October 29th. And the Mids rallied against Notre Dame despite their new starting quarterback, Xavier Arline, getting hurt in the fourth quarter. A uh, big game for a guy who has one of the best names in college football, Navy fullback Daba Fofana. I love that name, Daba Fofana. Uh, Daba had 15 carries for 133 yards and a touchdown. He averaged 8.87 yards per carry and a crazy game for Navy's defense, which had two totally different halves. The mids in the first half allowed Notre Dame to score 35 points go 5-7 on third downs, and generate 333 total net yards of offense. The mids in the second half 
held Notre Dame to no points, just one of six on third downs, and just two total net yards of offense. Yes, two. Uh, Also, the mids in the second half totaled all five of their sacks. Heck, the mids in just the fourth quarter had four sacks and an interception. Uh, The Knights of UCF, they are 8-2 and two overall and 5-1 and one in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, Navy is 3-4 and four in the AAC. Uh, UCF has won three consecutive games with two of those three wins being over ranked teams. A 25-21 home win over then number 20 Cincinnati on October 29th and a 38-31 win at then number 17 Tulane last Saturday. The Knights are number 20 in the latest college football playoff rankings. Uh, UCF through week 11, it was number five in the FBS in rushing yards per game for this season at 249.5. Now, Navy was 10th at 238.7, but UCF this season is averaging 5.42 yards per carry. Navy this season is averaging just 4.06 yards per carry. Uh, The public is heavily on Navy, but I think it's going to be tough for Navy to make it three consecutive games in which it keeps things close with a prohibitive favorite. So give me UCF minus 15 and a half. Make money, money, make money, money, money. And Goldilocks game number three, Virginia Tech at Liberty. Saturday at noon, the Hokies are plus 10. The public, by the way, is all over Liberty. The public is loving the Flames. Uh, Are they, in fact, the best team in the state of Virginia this season? I say yes, although the Flames are coming off a tough loss. Uh, They fell to 8-2 overall with a 36-33 upset loss at UConn last Saturday afternoon. Uh, Liberty was a 13-point favorite in multiple shops. The Flames, at the end of the first quarter, trailed 14-3. They then blew fourth-quarter leads at 27-21 and 33-28. Not a good game for Liberty's defense against the UConn offense that had been woeful this season. The Huskies through Week 10 were 127th out of 131 FBS teams in offensive efficiency for the SP Plus rankings this season. Uh, Liberty's third-string quarterback, Jonathan Bennett, again, was the team's starting quarterback, although the man who he replaced, Caden Salter, did play in the game of having been out due to a groin injury for which he underwent surgery, although he late in the first quarter had a lost fumble on a sack strip, and the fumble was returned for a touchdown. Uh, Liberty was without running back Day-Day Hunter. He suffered a season-ending torn LCL in the 21-19 win at Arkansas on November 5th. The Flames also were without running back Shedro Lewis due to personal reasons. His father recently passed away, but Liberty got a big game from running back TJ Green, 24 carries for 119 yards and a touchdown. And Liberty got a big game from receiver Demario Douglas, seven receptions for 70 yards on 13 targets and two carries for 105 yards and a touchdown, which was an early fourth quarter, first and 10, 75-yard Shotgun read option touchdown run. Uh, As for the Virginia Tech Hokies, uh, well, they have their first seven-game losing streak since 1951. Tech fell to 2-8 overall and and 1-6 in the ACC with a 24-7 loss at Duke last Saturday afternoon. The Hokies led early in the first quarter 7-0, but they then lost the rest of the game 24-0. Tech through Week 11 was 123rd 
out of 131 FBS teams in offensive efficiency for the SP Plus rankings this season. Give me Liberty minus 10. Make money, money, make money, money, money. All right, Snoop. And so your Goldilocks for week 12, Ohio State minus 27 and a half, UCF minus 15 and a half, and Liberty minus 10. We are laying some lumber for this week 12. Uh, Also on Saturday, James Madison, home to Georgia State, Saturday afternoon at 2, and Old Dominion at Appalachian State, Saturday afternoon at 2.30. Well, another loss for the Capitals, and this was a loss that could have been worse, but also was a loss that could have been a win. Uh, the Caps fell to 7-9-3 and three with a 5-4 shootout loss at the St. Louis Blues on Thursday night. Uh, the Caps lost for an eighth time in 10 games, though this was the third non-regulation loss during that stretch. Uh, the Caps did overcome a 3-0 first period deficit to at least get a point, and they do remain without seven key players due to injury. Defenseman Dmitry Orloff and six forwards, Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, TJ Oshie, Connor Brown, Carl Haglin, and Beck Malenstein. So when you look at the game in those ways, a 5-4 shootout loss at the Blues doesn't seem so bad. But the Caps on Thursday night lost despite obliterating the Blues in the puck possession battle. The Caps per natural stat trick had 65 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Blues 27, including 16 5-on-5 high danger shot attempts to the Blues 6. And the Caps finished with 51 shots on goal to the Blues 24. I mean, the Caps more than doubled up the Blues in terms of 5-on-5 shot attempts and shots on goal and yet lost the game. So when you look at the game that way, the game was a disappointment. Uh, Charlie Lindgren was a cap starting goaltender for the fifth time in 19 games in this 2022-2023 NHL regular season. He stopped just 20 of the 24 shots on goal that he faced. Um, you know, again, you crush the Blues in the puck possession battle, but your goaltender only stops 20 of the 24 shots on goal that he faces. Uh, the Caps on Thursday night went just 3 of 4 on the penalty kill. Uh, did go 1 of 3 on the power play, so the Caps do get a power play goal. They came into the game 0 of 21 on the power play since going 4 of 5 on the power play in a 5-4 win over the Edmonton Oilers at Capital One Arena on November 7th. Big games on Thursday night for defenseman John Carlson and winger Alex Ovechkin. Uh, Carlson on Thursday night was playing in his 900th career NHL regular season game, and he had two goals, uh, a second period shorthanded goal and a third period power play goal. He also had a game high 14 total shot attempts and a game high tying three block shots. Alex Ovechkin on Thursday night had a goal and two assists. Uh, He had a second period even strength goal. He had two third period secondary assists. He also had a game high nine shots on goal. He did commit a first period slashing minor, but Ovechkin finished number two on the caps in five on five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 81.82. The caps with Ovechkin on the ice in five on five situations in the game. You ready for this? 27 shots 
shot attempts versus allowing a mere six shot attempts. Uh, The goal was Ovechkin's 401st career NHL regular season goal in a road game, moving him to within one of tying Wayne Gretzky for the most NHL regular season goals in road games in league history. Next up for the Caps, home to the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche, Saturday night at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 447. We'll have in-depth reaction to and analysis of whatever happens for the 5-5 five and five Commanders in their game at the 1-7-1 and one Houston Texans this Sunday afternoon at 1. I'll also talk college football week 12, Maryland home to number 2 Ohio State Saturday afternoon at 3.30, Navy at number 20 UCF Saturday morning at 11, Virginia Tech at Liberty Saturday at noon, James Madison home to Georgia State Saturday afternoon at 2, Old Dominion at Appalachian State Saturday afternoon at 2.30. I on Monday show will talk Wizards, so two games for the Wiz this weekend, home to the Miami Heat Friday night at 7, and home to the Charlotte Hornets Sunday evening at 6. I on Monday show will talk Capitals. Uh, They on Saturday night host the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche at 7. And I on Monday's show will hit on college hoops. Lots of tournaments going on as we are near Thanksgiving. Uh, Maryland has games on Saturday afternoon and Sunday afternoon in the 2022 Basketball Hall of Fame tip-off in Connecticut. The Terps will face St. Louis on Saturday afternoon at 1. Georgetown has games on Friday and Sunday in the Jersey Mike's Jamaica Classic. Uh, the Hoyas will face Loyola Marymount in Jamaica on Friday afternoon at 4.30. Number 16, Virginia Virginia has games on Friday and Sunday in the Continental Tire main event in Las Vegas, Nevada. The Cavaliers will face number five Baylor on Friday night at seven. And Virginia Tech is playing in the Charleston Classic in Charleston, South Carolina. The Hokies on Thursday afternoon beat Old Dominion 75-71. Another good game for Sean Padula. 34 minutes as a starter. 2 of 5 on threes. 5 of 10 on twos. He did go just 2 of 5 on free throws, but he finished with 18 points, 7 assists versus 1 turnover and 4 rebounds. The Hokies won despite seeing a 16-point second half lead get trimmed to 2 in the closing seconds. Also won despite having just 6 offensive rebounds to ODU's 18. Uh, Tech next will face Penn State on Friday at noon in the semis of the Charleston Classic. So a jam-packed Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. Uh, Have a great rest of your Friday. Have a great Saturday and Sunday. And I'll talk to you on Monday. Even though the Washington Commanders, I'll never get used to that corny, whack name. 